The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Welcome to Psych Up Live. I'm your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips, and on this show, we'll be turning up the psychological perspective on many life issues. As the former host of Psych Up on Casoto Radio, I joined with terrific guests to host 73 shows. This show is different because it includes you in the conversation. This is Psych Up Live. I welcome you to listen in and call into today's show at 1 866 472 5788. You know, most of us face stress on a day-to-day basis. Work, bills, traffic, kids, in-laws. Often we also face unexpected challenges and life crises. The death of a loved one, divorce, job loss. In midlife, we are particularly vulnerable to life crisis because it is the time when responsibilities and demands are at their peak. It is no surprise that major depression rates are highest in men and women ages 45 to 64. How do we cope? And how do we ride out the regular waves, the big waves, and the tsunamis of life? You're going to hear answers to these questions and more from our guest, Dr. Pete Stebbins. Coming all the way from Australia to speak to us, Dr. Stebbins is a clinical psychologist, executive coach, and the author of five books, including The Seven Midlife Tsunamis, and the stress surfer, Ride the Waves of Life Without Stress. From his doctoral research on, Dr. Stebbins' focus has been on chronic stress and cognitive behavioral therapy, which he has applied working in hospitals, the corporate world, and clinical private practice. He's a frequent guest psychologist on popular television in Australia. In fact, I recently saw him addressing a workplace stress Dr. Pete Stebbins, it is my pleasure to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Thank you so much, Susan. Thanks for having me. Okay, so Pete, you call yourself the stress surfer. Can you tell us what made you use this metaphor and what the connection is between surfing and managing in life? Yes, thanks, Susan. That's great. I I use the... um I guess the, the term the stress surfer as a, a kind of fun way to deal with a really serious topic. Um, it's a combination of uh, both personal experience that's led me into, to, I guess, communicating around stress and ways of life, as well as uh, trying to find the simplest and easiest way to help people under stress, people with mental health problems, embrace cognitive behavioural uh, approaches to self-help uh, I'll find that uh, mental health issues uh, uh, typically require uh, a lot of effort for people to recover, and there's so much complexity in jargon in all the self-help and, and psychiatric uh, literature. But the, the idea of the stress surfer sort of turns it all into a really simple idea about waves of life, wipeouts, and just like nature balancing nature, balancing these four elements of our inner well-being. So it creates a really simple way to deal with a, a really serious and somewhat complex topic. Hmm. Now, were you a, yourself, in, in addition to being a psychologist, were you, Pete, a surfer before you hit? I mean, I know you include yourself in almost all your books. Were you a surfer before you hit some major life crisis? 
Yeah, certainly. Um, I, I, I surfed extensively when I was younger, and uh, I guess part of getting through my own midlife crisis and my own tsunamis was to return to surfing and to use it, I guess, as both a, a relax, stress-relaxing activity and a, and a bit of a metaphor to, uh, again, apply what we know about all of these big life challenges that we face uh, and generate simple and powerful things I could do to help myself as well mm. as people I, I work with. It's interesting because being a swimming person, uh, and when I know the person is also a swimmer, I just recently said to a woman who was just worrying herself to death, I said, you know, you it's as if we're both standing on the beach and you're afraid to go in the water. And I want to say to you, we've already swam together before. I know you've swam even when it's pretty wavy. So we can either wait to live or we can swim because you know how to swim and she said you know she looked at me and then she said well you're going to be proud of me because this summer when we went to the lake she said I used to spend an inordinate amount of time going in the water because that was so cold and then I thought I'm not going to live forever I better just jump in so your your metaphor is an easy one and a valuable one because I do think metaphors touch often emotions and concepts in a way, in a multi-kind-of-level way that just words may not always do. Pete, in your metaphor, so the regular waves, could you distinguish the different waves? And then we'll talk a little bit more about your philosophy. Yes, certainly, certainly. Well, one of the you know the great things about the waves, and, and as you just said, that interaction you had with the person you were working with, um, is that waves come and go, and, and they don't last forever. And, and as we know clinically, uh, with anxiety or depression, you know, one of the hardest things that, that, that the clients or patients have to come to grips with is to just um, hold tight during those darker moments or those fearful moments until they pass. Because just like waves, they do pass. But also like waves, you know, unfortunately, there's generally more of them over time. And so we need to be able to be really clear about what we're facing and how to face it. Mm. When we look at the, this, what we call the stressful life events research, we know that there's all these different, I guess, uh, things that happen to people in life, you know, from really, really big stressful events like divorces and, and, and death of loved ones and, and, and major loss of jobs and going bankrupt, mm. right down through to really simple things like daily hassles, like forgetting your keys, like getting stuck in traffic jams. Right. And the ways of life model simply takes what we know in clinical research and breaks those list of events up into regular ways of life, which are those small, simple things, the daily hassles, through to what we call the big waves, uh, which are the more serious things, you know, major changes, financial stress that isn't going to make us bankrupt, but it's going to mean we have to make some radical decisions, serious arguments perhaps with our partner or with the kids, and then, of course, the tsunamis, the devastating waves of life that hit us as I alluded to before, around the death of loved ones, um, separation and divorce, and a range of other issues. So that three different types of waves sits really nicely over previous clinical research about stressful life events. Hmm. Now, now, Pete, when you uh, think about all those possibilities, you set in motion uh, this stress surfer philosophy. So maybe you can share that with us. Yes, yeah, certainly. So... You know, the, the stress of the philosophy, I guess, was a way of um, was a way of me drawing together the the, 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 the twenty years odd of, of practice as a as a psychologist in, in, in clinical areas working with people and, and and that passion, that rediscovery of my passion for surfing. And that all kind of came together um, many years ago, uh, as I was, uh, I guess, coming to grips with my own divorce and um, learning to adjust to the shared care and missing my kids and, and trying to find something useful and, and productive I could do with my downtime and, and, and how I might be able to pay things forward, how I might be able to uh, take what I've done and, and, and communicate and share a bit better. So out of, out of that, I guess, difficult period of my life, I, I fused the, uh, the whole thing about waves and and wipeouts and nature 
with all of that, that years of cognitive behavior therapy, my PhD within cognitive behavior therapy and all my clinical practice. And, and it, it, it hung together really well because as we've already talked about, it's easy to, once you get the hang of these three different sized ways of life, to ask people to consider whatever it is that they're currently struggling with and whether it is indeed a small wave that they're overreacting to, whether it's a big wave and they need to take some time out, or whether there's a tsunami there, and it, they really need to give themselves a break and you know, self-care, look after themselves. You know, the second element that was easy to, to link over is the idea of wipeout. And in surfing, there's two types of waves you wipe out on. There's the little ones, where you, uh, you, know, where you basically just pop down under the water, hold down for a little bit, and get back up and have another go. And then there's the big, big waves, where you do a thing called going over the falls. You're stuck inside a washing machine, and it's really stressful. And I liken that to, in burnout theory, we talk about brownout, you know, about not really burnt out yet, but starting to struggle a little bit, and blackout, you know, when you literally have a breakdown. So again, the idea of wipeouts is really simple. And the last one, very quickly, was about the cognitive behavioral therapy model and, of course, tying that to something simple like the four elements in nature. And it's really easy to connect your mindsets with the wind, you know, the, the, the blowing wind, like our thoughts, we can't see them. It's easy to connect emotions and emotional management with, with tears or with water, the element of water, with uh, our body and, and exercise and self-discipline and diet. You know, caring for ourselves is like caring for the earth. And then, of course, fire, the fourth element in nature, is just like purpose and having a passion for life. So... I was able to kind of reconstruct and develop, a, I guess, a bit of a forward message, one I hope uh, makes it easier for everyone to engage with cognitive behaviour therapy uh, and what it takes to live a successful life using, I guess, waves in nature. It's it's terrific. Uh, and, it, and as you say, it really holds. So what I'd like us to do is let, let's exemplify it a little bit. So if I'm recently in a divorce that I don't want to be in, one of the first things you're saying is put this in some sort of context. Measure, measure this in terms of your life. And since I do a lot of trauma work, I'll tell you that at the moment that someone finds out this is the end of this marriage or any other traumatic event, even if it's a natural disaster, we're going to lose the house, the car just floated away. But in terms of a divorce, we see, and I, see, I saw that you listed it as... In the current culture, it's considered one of the, it, almost the top one. It was death of a, of a spouse, but the, the idea that divorce lingers on and there's often so much contention and anxiety and anguish about it with children, as you know, etc. I see a lot of people suffering with this. So the first thing, according to your um, program or, or schema, is to measure where does this fit in? I find with people that often they're in such a panic at the very beginning, Pete, that they can't even remember the way they coped in the past. So often if I say to them, has anything really traumatic, really, have you ever had another tsunami hit? They'll say yes. And then if you're able to invite them to consider, how did you manage then? What did you draw upon they're in some ways able to put it into some perspective. In, in fact, sometimes when people are in a group and they hear other people say, it feels terrible now, but you're going to see, it's going to get workable, that's another way for them to sort of measure it. Have you seen that? Yes, yes. You're raising a really important um, series of points there around um, divorce. And, you know, one of the, I guess, the things we talk about in the book, The Seven Midlife Tsunamis, is, is that whole idea that when you look at tsunamis that, and the research about stressful life events, um, there's, a, there's a competition, if you like, in clinical research between whether the, the death of your spouse or separation and divorce is the, is, the, is the biggest and most devastating event that we have to face in life. And, and you're right, I argue strongly in the book that that separation and divorce is actually, you know, the biggest one of all. And, and you know, I guess I, I comment on that through personal experience as well as uh, the clinical literature where there's so much that, uh, that, 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 I guess, infuse a lot of divorce, especially if there are children involved, if there's a degree of acrimony, 
uh, it really is a, a difficult uh, time. And unlike, I guess, grief and loss after a death, um, you know, you're in a situation where, where you have to keep working on things and, and keep dealing with things for, for very long periods of time. Mm. Susan, as you said, though, the, the hardest part when we're working with people who are going through that or people listening are going through that, how do you, despite being in such a, you know, such a traumatic situation, how do you get some perspective on that? You know, as you said, right. you know, simply looking at the silver lining may or may not really help at that time. So that's why we try and, I guess, get people to, to consider how what they're going through relates not only to their own experience and people they know, but also to the objective research. Because that does two things. One, it helps them back off and self-care a bit better and recognise, you know, that they really need some recovery time. And two, uh, it also allows them to start to have a language, a simple language that they can communicate to the people who care for them, to their support network, so that they can mm. get through now, one of the things that um, I, I think you talk about right away in this, it's, I call it yours is like a multimodal approach, is this managing mindset. And I do think it relates when I read your book that how, of course, how you think about a tsunami and how you think about a problem very much bears on how you handle it. And I've seen that sometimes to literally almost shrink the context and think, um, as we say, it's a common co- concept, I'm going to take it day by day, or I'm first going to deal with the children, or I'm first going to set up a new household. That is, when people start to think of the entire thing, Pete, it is like a wave that they're going to wipe out. But when they start to think of it in discrete steps, I was, in, I was speaking to people who had lost the loved one to suicide, and at one point I said, you know the expression, we take it day to day. I said, well, maybe sometimes we take it hour to hour. And one young lady in the group said, no, we take it second by second. So I think that idea, I think one of your first elements is managing the mindset is really an important way to start to even handle and put perspective on the tsunami. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. And and learning to not only manage your mindset in the moment, but also be able to uh, understand that what we, we would describe as the backstory of your life. What are the underpinning, I guess, subconscious attitudes and beliefs that are either holding you back or liberating you, helping you move forward? Uh, to me, understanding those two things is critical, just like you said. Well, now I see that. I liked your description of three unhealthy mindsets and healthy mindsets. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yes, certainly. So one of the things, again, trying to keep it simple uh, is, to, is to pull apart these uh, mindsets or schemas or attitudes or belief systems. You know, they're, they're, they're interchangeable words. Again, my doctoral research sort of focused on that area, and they're, they're interchangeable. They, they reflect the same thing. Um, and I like to call it the backstory of your life, i.e., just like a movie, there's things go on in the, in, the, in the plot that we're watching. And then there's this undercurrent, this backstory that guides character development. But one of the things we know when we look at backstories or belief systems or attitudes that we have, one of the things we know from research is that there are only a certain number of these backstories, these attitudes, these mindsets that actually cause psychological problems. And there are three that are very worth our time. They are worry. Um, the attitude or mindset of worrying is, is very damaged to our psychological health. What we call demand, the attitude, having a demanding attitude and expectation. In some therapy terms, they talk about the shoulds and musts. We call that a demanding mindset. And then, of course, one we're all familiar with, blaming, having a, a mindset or an attitude where we, uh, I guess, blame others for how we feel. Those three mindsets. If we get stuck in those negative spaces, all amplify the psychological problems that we have. Um, Dr. Stebbins, I'm going to just stop us right there, and we're going to take a quick break and come right back and talk about how do we reverse those unhealthy mindsets. You're listening to Psych Up Live. We're talking with Dr. Pete Stebbins, clinical psychologist, the author of five books, including The Seven Midlife Tsunamis. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You count. Tune into Inner Revolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Inner Revolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're talking with Dr. Peter Stebbins coming to us all the way from Australia. And we were just talking about how you can get into unhealthy mindsets when you are facing a crisis like divorce, the death of a partner. And of course, you know, any trauma becomes greater depending on the person. I think Dr. Stebbins mentioned we all bring a story to wherever we are. We bring a, bring a backdrop. And if we've had tremendous pain in our past or some complication, a particular trauma might be more severe or experienced as greater to us than to someone else. That being said, no matter what, when we do face such traumas, often bringing a healthy mindset could matter. And we were just, Dr. Stevens was just talking about worry, demand, and blame as really problematic mindsets. Now, Dr. Stebbins, how would we move out of those? Yeah, thank you, Susan. It's um, spot on in terms of those three mindsets. Uh, again, my the research I did when I was younger, we looked at um, all the different mindsets we could measure. And, and as we said before the break, it was those three that were the ones that caused the psychological problems. Worry, of course, is... is you know, when I do workshops and, and, and I ask people, can you worry about the past? And half the room puts up their hand. And, of course, you can't worry about the past by definition. Right. You can only, I guess, feel remorse or guilt or disappointment. Worry is defined as the fear of either current unknown, things that are outside your control currently, like perhaps where your kids are or their spouse is or some other event you can't see. But more importantly, worry is typically rooted in the future. It's, it's a fear about something bad happening in the future. And, of course, you know, I'm sure we can all understand that people who have had bad things happen in the past or perhaps are in the middle of, as we've been using divorce as an example, or in the middle of a, you know, a really difficult situation, would naturally assume that other future things may, may go wrong as well. And, well, and of course, the said, hard part there yeah. is... Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, sorry, the hard yeah. part there is... Uh, not that good or bad things don't happen in the future, but that worrying about or focusing on that, that negative energy, detracts from what we need to be doing the most, which is coping with 
the present coping with the challenges we have now. Right. Uh, that's exactly um, my perspective because people often say to me, well, it worries like preparing for it. Well, they'll say the shoe to drop. So when the next shoe drops, I'm going to be prepared. And just exactly what you said is, I think, so important to underscore is to have them consider the worrying is not only taking you away from how you might be coping, it's depleting you of energy. So, you know, if we're worrying about another wave coming, we are not going to have the stamina to deal with it as well as if we proceed ahead. Absolutely. You said it so well there, Susan. You know, so much of all of the elements that we manage in our lives, be it the mindsets, emotions, purpose, or lifestyle, it's all about maximizing our available energy and resources to deal what's in front of us now. And when people can learn what we call worry exposure techniques, when they learn not to fight that stuff off, and they learn, I guess, just to sit with the wipeout experience, sit with that negative energy and just stay calm, it quickly dissipates, just like the, the wave that hits the beach, drags back down, and, and the sand, you can stand on the sand again. So, too, it is with managing worry and what we call worry exposure. If they can learn not to, I guess, engage in all of that uh, rumination, all that uh, unhealthy thinking, uh, it, it literally goes away. And you know, when that happens, people are freed up. You know, people actually have an improved quality in that moment where they're present and real with others and, and where the sun may actually be shining and where they may have a warm cup of tea in their hand or a cup of coffee. You know, there might be tiny moments that they're just not appreciating because they're so consumed by their worry. So out of the three, uh, worry, demand and blame, um, that's the one with worry. And if we can change that backstory, start to understand why we do that sort of stuff and learn how to disengage from it, we're certainly going to improve the quality of our lives. Well, what would you say if I said to you, if you were working with me and I said, I'm so worried I'm going to lose my children in this divorce, um, <clears throat> I can't even think about anything. I can't think straight. Well, I can certainly relate to that one, both professionally and personally. Yeah, and, right. and indeed, you're going straight to the top of the difficulty, which is a good <laughs> thing because that is the type of stuff that is real. And, of course, what we would do in, 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 in cognitive behavior therapy, well, we would absolutely want to um, acknowledge the reality of that risk. But then, as you said earlier in, in our discussion, we'd engage in some sort of type of um, reality check or problem solving about that, which is to get that person to start to understand two things. One, objectively, how likely is that? And two, as they come to grips with how objective that is, they'll naturally have some energy around the things they could be doing to lower the, the likelihood of that event in terms of you know, healthy, positive strategies to be a good parent, to share care effectively, and uh, you know perhaps to get advice and, and, and follow the requirements of, of the system. But the second element, the second and perhaps from a well-being perspective, even more important element is as they deal with that, as they expose themselves to that worry, as they confront that fear, they invariably need to do what we all need to do, no matter how big or small the traumas of our lives are. They need to live in the present, and they need to make the most of their lives when these future negative events haven't happened yet. And don't get me wrong, I know from you know both first-hand experience and as a, as a clinical psychologist that that type of worry and divorce really is a massive worry and, and therefore I have a respect about how difficult it is to kind of set that aside and enjoy your kids and, and enjoy how your family works at the present time. Um, but it is with that empathy and respect that nonetheless I need to get my clients and my patients to focus on making the most of now as well as yes. starting to be perhaps a, a better person, a better parent, start to think about how they can maximise um, their effectiveness in shared care and uh, prevent perhaps losing access to their children altogether. Uh, yeah. And they can only do that by first letting go of worry and living in the present and making the most of what they still have. It's, it's so true because um, having, having worked with people who are struggling, when you can invite them to use mindfulness to enjoy the moment with their child, to be able to look forward to the pleasant in other words, the divorce proceeding is going to go on. You're going to meet with your attorney. You're going to send the papers back and forth. But if in between you're waiting to live, your child is really then suffering also. 
Oh, absolutely. And, you know, that's one of the hardest parts, I think, in Australia and I think America's similar across the Western world. The way, the way a lot of these decisions and legal processes happen um, can become adversarial or can become a situation where you, you are becoming more focused on, on, on paperwork and, and on, on arguments as opposed to being the great um, mother or father that you want to be. Mm. Uh, and now, that's all the more reason, I guess, to work with a, a psychologist, um, you know, to have a good support network. Uh, and some of those other, I guess, managing those other elements of your life as well during a divorce so that you really can minimise the worry and maximise being present in the moment and being a, a wonderful mother or a wonderful father uh, as these really difficult things, you know, take time to resolve. Mm. Now, your other two... Uh, mindsets that you say c- create more problems than they create uh, opportunities are be our hostility, the demand, and the blame. Now, very often there is a lot of anger or blame, whether it's a death or a divorce. There is a rage that we feel that the unthinkable has happened in our life. So, how do you generally help people move to a more accepting and or more uh, a mindset of taking more responsibility? What would you say about that, Pete? Yeah, again, Susan, thanks. We're tapping into, I'm sure there are people listening that, that, that might even be feeling some of those strong emotions of, of anger, of rage, of sadness, uh, and divorce is personified so much of that um, manifestation of those negative emotions uh, for, 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 for sensible reasons. And when we come to those two other mindsets, the one of demand and the one of blame, you know, we always begin in cognitive therapy by first acknowledging the reality of how mm-hmm. much, how we feel. And so if we're trying to deal with the tendency to blame or demand, the first step in all of that is to just simply come to grips with um, the, the, the extreme, perhaps, emotions we might be feeling and firstly just own them. You know, when we look at the mindset of blame, that there's, a, there's a big distinction there between um, being responsible for our own emotions as opposed to blaming other people. Mm-hmm. And some people right. confuse that idea, the idea that no matter how bad I feel, it's, it's only up to me to somehow improve that feeling. Some people confuse that responsibility for my own emotions with responsibility for the situation. And that's a very different issue altogether. When we talk about yes. the mindset of blame, we're talking about how you own your own emotions, how I, Dr. P, have to own my own emotions in my divorce, that it's not for me to blame, you know, my, my former partner for whatever I'm feeling, as hard as that may be. But that's a very different thing to whether I need to blame myself for everything that actually happened or whether indeed the circumstances, you know, I was wrong, the other party was wrong, other circumstances are to blame. And so sometimes we get stuck with our, our clients or patients helping them pull apart blame in terms of being responsible for your own emotions compared to the mm. other objective facts that there is right and wrong in society. I don't know, do you find that dilemma in, in your work, sorry, Susan? Well, I think it's a wonderful distinction. I hadn't thought of it that way, that the we think of blame in terms of who caused the divorce, who was the bad partner, and on and on and on. But we also know the only way to really move on is to take some ownership. But I like that you're saying not just ownership for how this marriage unfolded, but ownership at the present moment when it's dissolving of how you're going to cope with it. That is, you can go on forever, you know, holding a hostile kind of vengeful position which does nothing but probably make you physically sick and everyone has a right to be angry if they've been betrayed there's always sadness and loss but I like the way you're moving from recognizing the feelings associated with the crisis to inviting ownership of the feelings that are going to make you able to go on in a healthy way yeah, and, and certainly reflecting, you know, on my own journey and some of the the processes of my recovery through divorce. Um, I read some great research, uh, American research, a meta-analysis of, you know, what are the strategies that, that, that really will help you move on from your divorce. And, I mean, you, you know, this paper pointed out that being able to, number one, no matter how you feel, no matter what was done or not done to you, no matter what your right or wrong is, 
Firstly, being able to own 100% of your own emotional responsibility. That was the most important marker in anyone's recovery from divorce. Mm. And the second really important part, just speaking personally, um, there was an exercise in this, um, in this research paper that, that these various programs got there. The, the clients to do, where they had to go back and they had to genuinely walk through the pros and cons, you know, expose the worries, walk through the, those difficult times, and they had to identify areas of self-improvement. So no longer, I guess, blaming the other person, no longer even focusing on the objective right and wrong from the other side, but to write a list to own completely what it is that they brought into the problem. And that stumped me for a while because of my own issues, as well, and I'm sure people who've been in my circumstances can relate to. But I was able to eventually hang my hat on some things that no matter what, I could improve next time that, that really were character flaws on my behalf. They really were things that weren't optimal. And that didn't need to fall back into that cycle of blame. It was almost liberating to say, I need to do better at these things. I need to be a better listener. You know, I need to prioritise my own self-care better. I need to have all my energy at 100% from, for my wife, should I remarry, should I get another relationship in the future? And for my kids, as I continue to share their care, and that means I need to make changes for myself. So really tackling this issue of blame can not only free you up to just own your own emotions and not put that negative energy out in the world, but also it can be a catalyst to serious self-improvement you know, as you work through the pain and the scars of divorce. Well, let me ask you this, um, Pete, because I think listeners are probably wondering, well, how do you make that flip so quickly? How do you go from feeling like you've, you've been betrayed or feeling uh, worried or mostly feeling complete rage for the other partner? Um, how do you make that shift? And did you do it one day? Uh, how'd you make that shift to deciding to look at self-improvement, something you, of course, could control um, as a way out of your divorce tsunami? Yes, certainly. And that's, a, again, just such a powerful and deep question. And, you know, I hope you're able to give it justice in, in, in both the research and practical things you do as a psychologist, but also on my own personal journey. You know, the, the, the first thing, of course, is with humility and acknowledgement, the, the Lao Tzu, you know, philosopher quote, which is the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And I wouldn't want to um, suggest I was simply able to flick a switch and suddenly, you know, I was there. Um, but certainly I was able to wrestle with things, you know. And um, I remember, you know, I, uh, I was um, looking on, um, you know, Instagram or LinkedIn or Facebook, Twitter, whichever one, and there was a meme, a little image with a saying on it one day, uh, and it had this, you know, old stone Buddha statue or whatever, and the quote was, um, the quote was, um, your karma is how you react, you know, their karma is what they did, and mm-hmm. that kind of shook me to the core, I couldn't accept that uh, for a long time, because I felt like my karma, you know, what was going on to me was what was done to me. You know, my karma wasn't my reaction. You know, I had every right to be angry, you know. Of course I'm hurt. Look what happened. And okay. uh, that took months, if I can just be um, direct and candid with everyone listening. But we're talking about months and months of stewing and wrestling out something about becoming completely responsible for my reaction to you know, some really difficult things. Um yeah, so it did take time, um, but 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 it was able to be done by persisting with the what we call a dispute or the challenge inside my mind, of shifting my my view. Pete, Pete, I'm going to just stop you here. I apologize. We're going to take a brief break. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. On Voice America, we're here with Dr. Pete Stebbins all the way from Australia doing a wonderful show. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? 
With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England. Along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week. And each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio. Live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. You've heard of good things coming in packages. Well, maybe there's a little more to that saying. But when you think about it, packaging is one of the most important things that can represent your business. Tune into Ditch the Box with host David Marinak. Each week, we'll discuss flexible packaging marketing, sales, and how it all comes together in one container. Lower costs, increased margins. Listen to the show. It might just save you a ton. Ditch the Box is heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're talking with Dr. Pete Stebbins, clinical psychologist the author of The Seven Midlife Tsunamis and The Stress Surfer. And we're really talking about one particular midlife tsunami, divorce. It's something that Dr. Stebbins has shared is, is a tsunami that he, he had to somehow ride through. And we were, I was thinking, um, Dr. Stebbins, that, you know, nobody, nobody's prepared for trauma. Part of the nature of trauma is the unexpected has happened to you. And so nobody really learns to surf in the middle of a tsunami. So what did you use and what would you recommend for coping skills that prepare somebody to be ready, not not waiting and worried about it, but to feel some sense of mastery with whatever life throws their way? Yeah, that, that's a really good point. So, you know, remembering that, uh, you know, we covered a couple of things about um, the waves of life and objectivity and that we can actually look at things in perspective, not only through our own life thus far, but also to, you know, other, you know, much more significant and serious, you know, global catastrophes and other things throughout time that can help us get perspective. We've also touched in on those two types of wipeouts. Uh, about, uh, you know, the brownouts where we're, we're, we're seeing those warning signs and, we're, you know, we're feeling a bit stressed out and, and how we need to step back from that. And then the blackouts, you know, the going over the falls, as we say, in surfing and just how how much recovery time is needed, how we really need to back off and allow ourselves a chance to heal. We've touched in on mindsets and uh, briefly discussed the three, the demand, the blame, and the devilish one, worry, and just how... Um, quickly how psychological distress can escalate into diagnosis, you know, and get us into real trouble unless we can get on top of that and, and live a life that's free from those three things. Coming mm-hmm. to what you're saying now, unfortunately, most of us have to learn to surf uh, right at the time where we are in the midst of those big waves, and so <laughs> it, it can take us unaware. Yeah. But one yeah. of the things we can do best, and particularly if it hasn't happened to us yet, and that is that second element of nature, you know, the first one, wind mindset. The second element of the four in nature is, of course, emotion and linking that to the nature element of water. 
and emotional regulation is a definite asset for people going in to facing these big waves of life. And, and one of the most important things you need to do if you have yes. to learn to surf in right. a tsunami. And the idea of emotional regulation is simply to say most of these tsunamis, there are lulls between the sets of waves. It isn't one after the other without a gap. But when our emotions are running high, when, when we uh, get feeling like we're out of control with our anger or our sadness or other emotions, our fears, we can't see the lull between the waves. We can't actually slow ourselves down and regroup. And mm. so one of the most powerful things we can do is practice mindfulness techniques, you know, learning to be present and learning to really uh, experience the present moment and teaching people that before perhaps big waves hit them, or getting them to learn that quite quickly in you know, a very quick and simple mindfulness meditation. So I show a few of those in that Ride the Ways of Life book. I mean, many great examples there. But being able to quickly calm your emotions down and then close your eyes, the old count to 10 expression, do tactile things, put a piece of fruit in your mouth, shut your eyes, turn off all the noise and simply experience that sensation. Helping to switch on and off those powerful emotions is something that's so important uh, as you either before the waves of life hit you, but it's going to be crucial to your survival between sets because in divorce and in other major stressors, there is one wave after another and the gap might only last a day or two, an hour or a minute. So you need to be able to regulate and calm yourself so you can use all your energy to deal with the challenges. I think that that, that is probably the quickest way <clears throat> in terms of breathing, in terms of mind control. I've also said to people that regardless of what their state in life is, if they have a daily stress reducer, whether it's to play the piano or to run or to listen to certain music while they relax or to do puzzles, that that works to their great advantage because they know how that steady state can be created even in the midst of the storm. Yeah, that's a really good point, Susan. And, and, and when we're regulating our emotions, of course, as you just highlighted, this, the list of activities we just described, we call them emotion-focused skills, things we do when we can't actually solve the problem in front of us, that, you know, that we go for a run, that we listen to our favorite music, that we breathe, that we do mindfulness activities. There's another strand of emotional regulation strategies as well, which, again, you, you reflected on early on in our conversation, and that's the problem-solving basket of skills. And when we're trying to help people master their emotions, uh, you know, it's, it's most important they do the things you just described. But some people who perhaps have financial worries or have to mm. respond to certain issues, um, the more they distract themselves with a run or pleasant music, unfortunately that doesn't, you know, that doesn't speed up the resolution of the problem. So we right. also, when we're thinking about the emotions we face, we need to draw a distinction between what it is we, we need to distract ourselves, stay calm. I call it pacing ourselves. We just take it one day at a time. And what kind of things we have to avoid procrastinating on, summon up the energy to resolve, you know, to organize, to have a difficult conversation, to uh, make decisions, to cut our personal budget. Um, because unless we do those things, those are dis- distressing emotions will remain no matter how, how much music or money we listen to. So pulling that part what causes our emotional distress is also a really important point. I, and I love know, the way you listen. If I can, in your book. the lifestyle one links nicely there too, because lifestyle is about diet and exercise and really basic things that many of us try to avoid. In your work, Susan, do you often see people who are avoiding some really obvious kind of you know healthy healthy living problems? Well, yes. Well, very often there's a sense of being frozen. And even if they did it before, it's hard to them, for them to resume it unless they start to see it's going to actually be part of the problem solving. But I couldn't agree more that bringing in the cognitive with the problem solving, bringing in the physical with the exercising, bringing in the music, you know, it's the more points of reference somebody can access, the better the journey. Yeah, and I've seen many times with exercise in particular, you know, the, the research is so clear uh, in cognitive behavior therapy about how powerful exercise is uh, and how it uh, creates enduring results that outlast the effects of medication in some um, research studies. Mm. Uh, and getting people to understand the necessity of exercise in particular when it comes to that third element of the earth, of, of lifestyle, of looking after your body. Getting people to engage and embrace that, regardless of how overwhelmed they feel, to get their running shoes on, to get out and pound the pavement, to get into the gym, 
to do some swimming, not because they want to, but because they care for themselves enough to promote their own recovery. And when they can break through that lifestyle barrier and get their diet and exercise in line, so many other great things can happen. And in particular, the fourth element, the last of the four elements, which is purpose. When their mindsets, emotions, and lifestyle are all clicking through, even in the midst of this tsunami, these devastating life events, they've finally got enough their mental energy to be able to reconnect with their purpose and perhaps find different ways to express that purpose. You know, with the divorce, um, you know, the world is going to be different to how they used to look at it. You know, how they're able to care for their kids and care for loved ones. You know, whether they rebuild and try another relationship or remain single, they really need to connect with their underlying sense of purpose to help navigate through those difficult decisions. Pete, that's such a good point. <clears throat> we are, we're almost out of time. How would our listeners connect with you? You've had so much experience. You've done so much research. How could people find you? Well, certainly they can find me on Twitter at the, the Stress Surfer. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly on LinkedIn, uh, I'm there as Dr. Pete Stebbins. And they can contact me anytime through the website, drpetestebbins.com. And I'd be more than happy to um, connect uh, to, to, to empathize, to share, and and I, I make it a rule to to never offer, I guess, just facts and knowledge. I, you know, the only things I want to ever share with people are perhaps places I've been myself, strategies that I've used, so that we can tell the difference between wisdom. You know, that the yes. patients and clients I work with have a sense this guy's done this too. Yep. Well. Um I think we could have gone on for many more hours. I want to thank you so much for such a valuable show. And <clears throat> it's a thrill to think that you're in Australia and talking to us today. Um, thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you so much, Susan, for inviting me. It's been a privilege. Yes. Um, I want to thank our listeners. You can hear, remember, you can hear this show and any prior show as a podcast on my host site by the evening of the day that it's aired. Um, also, you can hear our shows on your iPhone, under podcasts, and on iTunes, under Psych Up Live. Next week, we'll be talking to Dr. Jason Laker and Erica Boas about the definition of consent in intimate and sexual relationships. Be sure to listen in for that one. Drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Until next week, please take care. Remember some of the wonderful advice we received from Dr. Stebbins today. Thanks and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.